But what I want to do is uh, a week of Thanksgiving, I want to express my gratitude and thanks to so many of you. There isn't a week that goes by where I don't receive a card, a text, an email, a phone call, a Facebook post, a Facebook email, uh, messenger, whatever, uh, where someone uh, just shares, they're praying for me, uh, they encourage me, uh, they'll say things like, I'm, I stand in your corner, um, you know, I'm, I'm here to help you in any way, and it has really helped me over the last few months. And uh, here's a picture of just, just a fraction of the cards that I have felt I've, I've received. That's on the top of my desk. And I save all of them. And I just want you to know how much that means to me. My heart, this particular week of Thanksgiving, it just overflows with gratitude. And I love you. Thank you so much. And one of the things that we see in the book of Romans, too, is Paul writes this letter to these Roman churches in a similar way that he's writing to them to uh, thank them for their ministry of sharing the good news. In fact, at that time when he writes Romans, that there are several churches in me, meeting in synagogues and also in, in uh, house, uh, house churches. And he writes to them in the opening chapter, if you remember, that he says, I, I thank you for your ministry. And then also as he, uh, as he writes Romans, is how much, he, he says how much I love you. Because those churches mean a lot to Paul. He didn't plant them. Uh, there were several of them. He hadn't been to Rome. And, and by the way, spoiler alert, uh, Rome will be the city that actually Paul dies. He's beheaded by Nero. Uh, so if you didn't know that, sorry about that. But that's what happens to Paul. Okay? So he hadn't been there before. So he's writing this, this, this letter, the sixth book of the New Testament, to, to share with them the good news. He wants these churches to know the basics of Christianity. And, and as, as, as a result of that, as one scholar says, you know, if you, if, you, if you have no other book in the Bible except Romans, you'll be fine. Because it's within Romans that we find the basics of Christianity. And Paul outlines the good news. He outlines the gospel. He wants these Roman churches to know what it is to be a follower of Jesus because he has his eyes set on Rome, because Rome is the epicenter of the world. It's the capital of the world. And Paul is looking at Spain. He's looking west, and he, he wants the gospel to go in that direction. And he sees these Roman churches as the, as the gateway towards that. So we've been in this series in Romans, uh, just kind of walking through together. And it's just been a, a, an amazing book. And as we've talked about this particular book, how it's impacted people. Uh, the passage that we're going to look at, Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, uh, probably has affected so many different church leaders and Christians over the years that, that it goes beyond saying. Martin Luther came to this passage and it ignited his heart and his mind on this thing called uh, being justified, being made right in God's sight. That's not by works. It's by the grace of God. And that led to the Reformation. This so impacted John Wesley and his brother Charles in England, um, as, as Steve talked about uh, John Wesley in his sharing. But John Wesley, his brother Charles in England, were so impacted by verses 21 through 26 in chapter 3 that for them, their eyes were opened that you need to have this, this personal relationship. You need to have this faith that you own. And that led to the Great Awakening. And then talking to a number of you in the last couple of weeks, how important Romans was to you at, at critical moments in your life. 
whether it was high school or college or when you had children or when you made that decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ, how the, the book of Romans in some way invariably entered into your life. So we're going to continue with that this morning. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 21 through 26. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. You follow along in your Bible, I'm in a New Living Translation, or you can uh, look at the slides, or if you have a Bible app, you can pull it up as well. Let me pray for us as we begin. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for all that you've done for us. And all of that you continue to do for us through the gift of your Holy Spirit. God, you, you welcome us as part of your family. In a sense, all of us are, are refugees before we come to Christ. And you welcome us into your family as members of your household. God, help us to always show gratitude to you. To never cease in, in, in giving thanksgiving to you. Especially, God, help us in our actions to show that gratitude by accepting others, welcoming them, and loving them, and for us to be that kind of community of faith here in Maple Grove and the surrounding areas. God, I pray this morning that you would awaken us to the whispers of your desires, and that you'd stir within us a passion for your kingdom, and that we would respond with all that we are, our hearts, our minds, our souls. And God, as, as, as I'm about to teach from your scriptures, let the words of my mouth, as the prophet Joel prayed, and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. God, you are my strength and you are my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. There's several commentaries in the book of Romans. Probably one of the best ones is by a guy named Leon Morris. Leon Morris says this, and we come to this paragraph, this passage, verses 21 through 26. He says it's probably the best paragraph written in human history. Wow. That's saying something. Okay? Verse 21. But now. But now. That's got to grab your attention. It's, it's like the symbols clashing together. Because before this, he's talking, about, he's talking about the law. He's talking about these commandments and the old way of doing things. But he comes to verse 21. This is a transition. But now, a new era is upon us. It's an era of salvation, of grace. But now, Paul writes, God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, which he just, Paul just wrote about earlier in chapter 3. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes. And for Jewish Christians reading this in Rome, this had to blow their minds. For everyone who believes. That meant Gentiles. All sorts of people. No matter who we are, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard Yet God freely and graciously de declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus, verse 25, as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. Verse 26, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in the present time, God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners 
to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Amen. That is amazing. That is amazing. This is the good news. It's the good news. And if we were to summarize this, this passage, we could say simply, but now we are made right in God's sight through faith in Jesus Christ. But now we are made right in God's sight through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's personalize it. But, but now I am made right in God's sight through faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to say that with me. But now I am made right in God's sight through faith in Jesus Christ. One more time. But now I am made right in God's sight through faith in Jesus Christ. That's an unbelievable statement. It's an unbelievable statement. And what I want to do this morning, as I was digging into this passage, I want to ask three questions and answer those questions. Because I, when I came to this, I was just asking some, just some basic things like, what's the source of this? What is the source of us being made right in God's sight? What is the source that allows us to say something like that? What, what is the source that allows Paul to write that? So that's the first question. What source? So what is the source for the change in our, in our standing? Look, let's take a look at verses 23 and 24. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through, Jesus, or through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Okay? So for us to realize, let's look at the, the second part of that verse, that God did this. Look at the message translation that you have in your teaching notes. I love this translation. God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself. A pure gift. Love that translation. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. Notice the emphasis on God and the pronoun he. What is the source? God. His grace. His grace makes it possible. Because you and I, according to verse 23, we have sinned and we fall short of God's glorious standard. Paul does something very interesting in that, in that popular verse, by the way. When he says, we have sinned, he uses a particular Greek word. And it's a word that says, all the accumulation of your sins past. All of them. And then when he says, you fall short of, of God's standard, that, that verb, uh, Greek verb for you fall short, is the continuation of our sin in the present time and into the future. We're stuck. Past, present, future. It's a very compre comprehensive verse. Past, pre present, future. We're stuck. We're in a jam. We don't have the ability to get out. We don't have the skill set to solve the sin problem. Reminds me of this past week on Tuesday. I was leaving the library and I was driving on 394. And like I like. What I tend to do is I, I, I tend to verbalize my sermons, and I was kind of, you know, for me, it's connecting the brain with the mouth, and because on Sundays it's, it's always not always there, and I need to kind of go through it. So I'm a verbal processor too. So I'm kind of speaking out loud. I get strange looks up by cars, by the way, when I'm driving by them. But you know, I'm just I don't raise my hands at least. I have them on the steering wheel, but. So I'm just kind of going through Romans, going through this passage, and, and going through the sermon, and and I was my brain was like way somewhere in the cosmos because I had forgotten my gas light went off. And, and I kind of came to when my, my car started to sputter. I was like, uh-oh. 
I looked down. Oh, no. And I was going 394 westbound. Fortunately, there weren't many, many cars on the highway. And I was like, God, just help me to get over this one incline on 394 because uh, the shoulder is not really, there's not much room there. And just be able to make it over, the, over the, that, that uh, incline. And fortunately, uh, it happened and my car got up there and I was able to coast down to an exit ramp area where there's plenty of room on the side and a nice shoulder there. So I got out of my car and I looked around and there isn't a gas station nearby at all. I was stuck. I, I was in a jam. There's, no, there's nothing in my skill set that I can make fuel, you know? I was going through this sermon. Maybe this was a, maybe this was, this was the time I was going through this sermon on Tuesday, where I said I was going kind of going through this thought. Like, there's nothing in me that can make gas. Okay, so anyways, uh, <laughs> so but I don't have the skill set to make fuel to, for my car. Okay, I can't do that. I can't. There's nothing I could do to fix this problem I was in. I was in a jam. I was stuck. And then I remembered. I joined AAA last year. Oh, that's so nice. Pulled that card out for the first time, called that number, and they were within, there within a matter of minutes. It was just the coolest thing. And, and I've been told by people that usually they just give you enough gas to get to the gas station. He had like five gallons of gas. He's like pouring it into my tank. And I was like, man, membership has its benefits. This is cool. I like this. And I was able to get back on, the, back on the highway into my destination. And in a similar way, the grace of God is like that. The grace of God, God comes alongside of you and I as we're stuck on the side of the road of life. And we can't get out. We're stuck. For all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. We are in a jam. We're stuck on the side of the road of life. And God comes along. He comes along and through his grace, he changes us. He fills us so that we can get back on the right road. That is the source. It's God's grace. The next question I want to ask is, on what grounds? On what grounds does this amazing change in our lives that we are made right in God's sight? On what grounds does that take place? We pick it up here in verse 24. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous, He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. I want you to underline that phrase, the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life. Underline that phrase, Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Again, this sacrifice, underline that. It's like the drumbeat of this passage. The grounds on which we're able to be made right in God's sight is the cross. That's important. Paul is, is saying that the cross is what makes it possible. The cross is. And we come to verse 24 when it says, you know, for the work of the cross, is, is, it makes us righteous. And that, that word is kind of dif- difficult to translate. And scholars kind of uh, disagree a little bit on it. But righteous does not mean being virtuous. I think some of us, we think being righteous means like you're, you're a really good person or you're virtuous. And it can mean that. But what Paul is talking about right here, he means that we are made right, that we are put in the clear, that you and I are acquitted. That's what that means. That the, the cross makes that possible, that you and I are made right. 
And it's interesting, too, because I think one of the reasons why Paul repeats this, this phrase, sacrifice, 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 because a popular inscription during that time in the Greco-Roman world that Paul would have seen read this, the people for the emperor Caesar, for salvation to the gods, we offer these sacrifices. And Paul wants them to know it's not your sacrifice. It's nothing that you've done on your part but the sacrifice of Jesus who freely gave his life. That's what makes it possible. It's not your, your offerings. It's not your sacrifices. It's not your works at all. It's the cross of Jesus. And we find that. We come to a passage like this too, and sometimes we read this and we're so moved. We're so moved by what God has done that he has made us right in his sight. And people will ask me, you know, this God seems a different version. The one I read about in the Old Testament seems really mean. That, that sort of his righteousness and what he does is coupled with wrath or anger or he's going to smite people. But if you actually examine the Old Testament closely, you'll find actually that God's righteousness, what he does, is four times more associated with mercy and grace and love than it actually is with wrath in the Old Testament. We read a unified, cohesive story in the Bible. These are not two versions of God. These are not two stories. It's one story, and we find this here in Romans 3. All right, the next question. Through which means? Through which means does this happen? Let's take a look at verse 22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. That's an important, important phrase. Everyone who believes, the religious, the irreligious, the moral or immoral person. I think a lot of us, we come to that phrase and, and we think like we're, we're so better off, but, but Paul is saying everybody who believes, you know, people who, who love God or maybe people who are opposed to God, they have an opportunity. People who like country music and those who don't, have an opportunity. Everyone who believes. That's what he's saying there. The gates are wide open. And I think for some of us, we think that, you know, the murderers or the, the kid, uh, uh, kidnappers of children, those kind of people are really, really bad. And I get this question sometimes too, is there a hierarchy of sin? And, and Paul says, I think, no, there's not a hierarchy of sin. There's different consequences, obviously, but a sin is a sin. And I like how uh, this bishop, Bishop Hanley, said it. You know, that, sure, there, there are people who have, who have uh, uh, engaged in certain uh, offenses, certain crimes. And maybe they're standing on the bottom of a mine, deep down in a mine. And maybe you uh, have lived a pretty good life, and maybe you're on the top of an alp or a top of a mountain peak. But the truth is, both of you cannot reach the stars. You are not able to reach the stars. So in that way, we're all equal in that. By what means, through which means? Verse 25, Paul writes this, For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life. And then moving down to verse 26, for he was looking ahead, including them, and what he would do in the present time. Let's move down to the bottom of that. He declares sinners to be right in his sight. When? 
when they believe in Jesus. That is the means through which you and I are made right in God's sight. It's through having faith. It's when you and I own it. It's one thing to sing songs about Jesus. It's one thing to read books about Jesus. It's one thing to read verses about Jesus. But have you personalized it in your life? Have you placed your, your faith in Jesus Christ? Because that's what makes this happen. And that's where John Wesley came along and said, you know what, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that led to the Great Awakening. You need to have faith. It's one thing to know about something, but actually for you to take the step and, and to actually own it for yourself, to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Have you done that this morning? Inside your program, you have a Romans Road uh, uh, bookmark. I'd like you to open up your, your program. And I want to encourage you to look at that and to ask yourself the question, have I taken that step? Have I taken that step? And if you look at the very bottom, there's this, what's called a sinner's prayer. And that's when you own the faith. Uh, your your parent may, parents may have raised you in a, in a, in a certain kind of church or religious uh, background. But have you taken the step yourself to ask Christ into your life as the leader of your life? Well, there's a person that has done that, and I um, invited her to share her story with us this morning, and I'm going to invite up Angie Satry, and let's give her a hand this morning. Where's Angie? There she is. Thanks, Brian. You send this slide? Okay. This is how we kind of practice, so. <laughs> All right. How do you feel? Good. Hello, everyone. Friends, family. Well, <laughs> well tell us, just kind of as a young girl, what kind, of, what kind of environment you grew up in when it came to church or, or spirituality? It was always part of the routine. It was always on the schedule to go to church every Sunday to pray at the designated right times before meals and at bedtime. But other than that, we just really didn't talk about it. We didn't talk about God outside of that. There weren't those life lessons throughout the day. So it was just kind of that routine. Yep, and it wasn't something I looked forward to. It was like, as a little kid, I remember, oh, I have to get dressed. I have to put on a dress and go and, you know, spend two or three hours at church and with those friends, those friends. So... And then looking on into uh, middle school, high school, sort of college, uh, tell us about your spiritual journey at that point. Well, as soon as I was old enough to leave my parents' nest, or so to speak, but once I got to college, I was able to do what I wanted, and that had nothing to do with going to church. It had to do with, of course, going to school and studying, but going to a lot of frat parties and a lot of uh, nights out watching different bands and drinking a lot of beer. Yeah. Really. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, at, at that point in your life, you really moved away from God and the, you know, the um, upbringing, as you and I talked about too, that um, because of, of the spiritual background that you grew up in, it didn't seem like something that you, you wanted to gravitate towards, that it wasn't as fun. Right. It just, I didn't, I had better things to do and it definitely didn't include going to church on Sundays or opening the Bible or praying with my friends. I, I didn't choose those friends in college. I should have, but I didn't. 
didn't, didn't compare as well to frat parties. It didn't. <laughs> and there wasn't a Bible study room at the frats or yeah. the sororities. There just wasn't. So. And then looking ahead, what was the change for you? I think uh, one of the big life-changing moments was uh, I definitely fell in love and, and moved here with Chad. And um, we got married and... and um, you know, tried to go to churches and things, but I didn't really want it or search for it again until my best friend since like the age of 18 um, fell ill with breast cancer. And she was young, she was only 30, and I think I was 28, 29. And, um, you know, I wanted to do something special and really big for her. So instead of just going to chemo with her, which a bunch of us did do, and sitting there through that time, we, we wanted to go to church together, and we wanted to pray, and, and we thought that that would make things better and, and heal us and heal her mostly. Um, so we started going to church in, in our neighborhood in St. Louis Park, and, uh, you know, we, we had some good tears. It was a girlfriend thing. I mean, Chad probably went a couple times with me, but it was more about going with the girls and crying together, and um, we got a lot out of it until that uh, one Sunday we went and the, uh, some of the elders were actually preaching sermon that day and they said, you know, we, we no longer have a pastor. He stole a lot of money from our church. And I didn't want that drama in my life. And so I kind of closed that book again and I said, uh, maybe that's not for me. Yeah. So. And how, how much time elapsed from that, from that day to actually going back to church again. A couple years later, um, I became pregnant with um, my son Sam, and uh, we needed a bigger house, so we found our way up to Maple Grove, where you could get more for your money. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we started going to Open Door while I was still very young in my pregnancy. We wanted to um, do what my parents had done for me and Chad's parents had done for him as well, is obviously give us that church thing that we didn't really love so much, but we knew it was the right thing. And so we started going to Open Door, and I still have great friends there, and I love it. And my son was actually dedicated November 20th, 2010 there, my daughter, two years later. Um, but it's such a big place. I just, it's a great place, but it just, for me, I couldn't, I couldn't necessarily say that was a time for me to give my life to Christ. So we uh, had a good excuse to kind of stop going there. Sophie was a bad sleeper, so we would go one day, and, or one week, and not the next, and then... Uh, Sam started school here, so two years ago, um, this last fall, he was a preschooler at Bright Beginnings, and it just seemed so right. It seemed close to my house. I saw people smiling in and out of here, and I just, I knew some of them must have been with the church and not all preschool. So um, I said, how about we try it out? So it was about two years ago, you know, we came here, and it felt like home. It started to feel right. Something started to feel right. And then... You had an appendicitis. And that's when I definitely um, gave my faith into Jesus and gave my life to him because I was so alone. And, you know, I, I felt like maybe I was being punished for all the times I was sinning. I was alone in the hospital because Chad had to be with the kids. My parents were in Iowa with a, my ill grandfather. And I was alone for a good solid 10 hours. And I, I was probably pretty out of it, but I know that I wasn't alone. I... I felt his presence. And you were alone in a, like, in a room because they, mm -hmm. they, they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what was wrong with me for a long time. Um, it took a few hours. with a, uh, They thought I was having a heart attack, so it was all focused up here. And then finally I, they did a CT scan and found that 
it was it had uh, ruptured and was perforated or whatever and poison leaking but which is not a good thing no <laughs> no yeah and then you know coming out of that experience because i remember you you know i, I visited you in the, in the hospital yeah, room and that meant a lot and uh you were so thankful that you were alive and what had, had, had occurred and so since then um how are how are you and chad um growing in your faith and and you know with your kids too and what you're doing I think I'm trying to make church more about just Sundays. You know, I'm trying to bring in those life lessons throughout. I'm not perfect mom by any means. There's days I forget, but um, you know, I, I try to make a prayer, not just about the memorization, but maybe throw in your own feelings yeah. and thoughts. Yeah, that's good. Well, I just want to encourage you that you might have a person in your life like, like Angie who is, who is searching. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a coworker. And that Romans Road insert that you have, I'd like you to perhaps share that with them and to walk them through that. Maybe uh, a person that you can be praying for uh, to share uh, what it is to be a follower of Christ, to be made right in, in God's sight. Or maybe you're here this morning and, and you can connect with Angie's story and where you said, you know what, I haven't really owned this before. And what I'm going to do right now is just lead in a, in a prayer and it's an opportunity for you to say yes. It's something that, that many people have done in terms of, of asking Christ in their life as their Savior, as their leader of their life. And you'll find that prayer right on the, the Romans Road card as well. So if that's you and you want to make that step to say, you know what, I want to own my faith. Hearing Angie's story, I, I want to have that security. I want to have um, that peace in my life in making Jesus the leader and Savior of my life. If that's you, you can simply pray quietly and repeat the phrases as I pray that. So let me pray right now. Dear Jesus, I have sinned and I ask for your forgiveness. You have given your life on the cross and you shed your blood so that I would be forgiven. So on this morning, I ask you to come into my life. I place my faith in you and that you would live within me and that you would use me for your kingdom. God, help me to make a difference in this world, to serve those around me. God, thank you for this wonderful plan of salvation. Thank you that even though we're stuck on the side of the road of life and we can't get out, that you come along and you rescue us. And by placing our faith in you, we are saved. And that's nothing that can be taken away from us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's give Angie a hand this morning.